Hello and welcome to episode 65 of the Arena Regulars podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Jeff. And we're your source for weekly drunken Magic the Gathering arena content. Yep, basically we're regular dudes drinking some irregular beers and talking about MTG Arena. And this episode we're talking all about Kamigawa Draft. Mm. It's my favorite. Yes. Drafting. Love <laughs> it. Uh, so we're going to break down some of the uh, decks you can play or shouldn't play or cards that we like and cards we don't and, uh, you know, all the, all the usual things. But first, each week we both bring a beer, we drink Jeff's, then drink mine, rate them on a scale of bronze to mythic, and choose the best for last. So with that, Jeff, what is on tap? <clears throat> All right, we're continuing our takeover from Godspeed. If you didn't listen to last episode, you should go check it out. But otherwise, I'll remind you, Godspeed is a brewery here in Toronto that has uh, Japanese influence, so that's why we decided to uh, feature them for a few of the starting episodes in Kamigawa. And we had three beers... Um, over the course of the past few episodes, Yuzu, Okame, and Atsukarasama. But this is a mix of all three. So what they've done is they've taken their three flagship beers, um, and they've fermented it with apple juice in a mixed fermentation, and then it went through a process in different barrels to age. And so the end result is called Kintsugi. It's 6%. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to, to give it a try because it's kind of, like I said, a mix of their three, you know, Japanese-style flagship beers. Uh, and if you want to check out the label, it's pretty nice. It's, like, all black with uh, uh, gold um, around the, the, the lettering and the images because uh, kintsugi is the art of taking broken pieces of pottery and putting them back together. And um, basically, I think they use gold leaf on all the cracks uh, to kind of accentuate all of the pieces or, you know, all, what has been put back together to have a new piece of art, um, which is kind of what they're doing with this, where they're putting a bunch of different beers and, and like apple juice and stuff together and just kind of right. uh, mending it. So, Or is the apple juice the gold, you know? That's oh, I guess so. Beers together. Yeah, it's like a gold. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a gold liquid that they're, they're keeping all the pieces together. Um, great. But anyway, we have some magic news. Uh, so, hey, Jeff, remember last week when uh, I was talking about uh, the Arena Open? <laughs> <laughs> I do, actually. <clears throat> so uh, I, made a, I made a mistake. My bad. Sorry, sorry everyone. Um, the Arena Open is actually limited. Uh, it's this weekend, the 26th and the 27th, and uh, it's sealed on day one and then draft on day two. It is not alchemy. Um, my bad. Yeah, if we don't embarrass ourselves from time to time, you know, what's the fun of doing a podcast? Yeah, right? Like, the whole <laughs> uh, the whole point is just to get drunk and say things wrong. You know, even <laughs> yeah. at the beginning of the episode, it's fun. Uh, I, I love how we were even like, it's so stupid that it's alchemy. They should be doing limited. It makes no sense, wizards. <laughs> and they are doing limited. Zach read the wrong <laughs> article from a month ago. Whoops. <laughs> But that's great news. So it means all of the everything you learn here, you can apply this weekend if you want to play in the Arena Open. That's right. And as always, for the Arena Open, we have our normal rules that apply, which is the main golden rule. Uh, don't don't have a gambling habit. Don't uh, don't spend too much gems, too many gems. Yeah, exactly. We usually advise setting a number of entries. Uh, so let's say I'm only going to enter this event twice, and then once you hit that cap, um, just stop. And that way you can put a, uh, 
you can put an upper limit on the amount of gems that you'll lose that you're willing to spend to, you know, have a fun weekend playing this event. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is also maybe extra fun this time because I don't think this has been the way they've done it in the past. It's, well, definitely not the last one, but if you get seven or eight wins on day two, you get qualified for the qualifier weekend. So. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Gives like some real like competitive, uh, competitive incentive. In yeah. What am I trying to say? Incentive. <laughs> Incentive. <laughs> it gives some real competitive whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case the two to $2,000 wasn't incentive enough for you. They yeah. Had to make it a little spicier. Mm -hmm. All right. Jeff, let's get right into it. Uh, let's talk about some draft. Uh, how, is your, how is your drafts going and what does it feel like? Does it feel like, I don't know, fast, slow, Prince Popper? What are the initial thoughts? You know, <clears throat> I was thinking about that before, you know, the show, obviously. And I actually don't really know if it's fast or slow. It kind of feels like it's both somehow. Like, it just feels like both aggro and control are viable strategies in this format. And so you can draft a really fast deck, but you also can draft a pretty slow deck. Um, I would say that you do have to just respect aggro. Like, you have to respect the fact that your opponent could go one drop, two drop, three drop, and all, all the way up the, the curve, those could be pretty good cards. So mm -hmm. you need to make sure you're, you're somewhat insulated against that. But it doesn't feel like, you know, blistering fast where you have to play aggro to win. Yeah, definitely. Um, you were saying you can play one drop, two drop, three drop. You can also play one drop, one drop, one drop, one drop, one drop, one drop, if you want. Yes, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I haven't quite done that, but... Uh, um, I've had decks that were capable of that, just never had that hand. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> basically what I'm saying with that is I, I had sent Jeff, I, I got seven wins with a mono red list that had 13 one drops in it. Um, and uh, that was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with that. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of viable, I mean, we've been saying that for a long time that one drops are just getting better, um, in limited and you actually want to play them. And I, I loved my like mono one drop deck. It was great. But anyway, with that, you can, you know, we have all these cards that are, you know, quad colored, like four colored, uh, spells and things that are like viable to play mono colored if you want. Yeah, I've seen monocolored. I've seen like many colors. Mm -hmm. I actually uh, lost a game earlier today to uh, what's it called, the Kami War. Oh, really? Um, where my opponent literally went like I forget exactly the order, but it was like mountain pass, like plains was their second land, forest was their third land, swamp was their fourth land, and then I think they played some green spell that attaches to one of their lands to give them the fifth color and mm -hmm. then they just exiled my five drop with this copy war and i conceded God. <laughs> and they were playing cards the whole time too it wasn't just like nothing 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 copy, copy war, war. Like two drop three drop four drop copy war <laughs> god yeah i mean uh we're gonna break down some of the the archetypes the cool two color archetypes but splashing is encouraged in this set i we said it a little bit last week but um, there do seem to be a lot of ways, uh, obviously we have the like common, uh, dual lands. So you'll find those a lot plus a couple different good, like I, I think good ways of, uh, fixing colors in, um, artifacts and then green fixes a lot, not just like it, they have a lot of like mana dorks or elves that just tap for green, but then there's like two or three other cards that fix your lands. So, um, 
yeah, Splash. It's fun. <laughs> it's really fun. That's what I say. Yeah, and then as far as Prince or Popper, I haven't really made a decision on that either. There are some rares that are really good, certainly, but I haven't really felt like it was uh, a Prince format in you know the matches that I've played, but I've seen some differing opinions on that, so... Uh, think maybe it's again kind of like the fast slow thing it's somewhere in the middle no i also agree on that because i've had people play like the you know mythic dragons against me and i don't immediately think that i'm screwed um i did <laughs> so i did the thing <laughs> that we said not to do last week where um i like suited up a creature and so i had a six six and i was tacking into their one one and their Jinji, and i was like mm -hmm. okay if they trade they're Jinji. I know they want to because then they can bring something back from the graveyard. And then I had a um, uh, removal spell for the 1-1 one, one, so that I would just cleanly kill their Jinji and then deal with whatever they got. And then, of course, after combat, I like yeah. took off the monkey and then it died. I was like, <laughs> why the fuck did I do that? I purposely, I knew that I didn't want to do that and I did it anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how it happens. <laughs> and so then I just conceded that match. I was like, I don't even want to fight back. I don't really care. Let's go to the yeah, next one. All that hard work. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was my, that was the mono one drop deck where it's like I had to suit up some things to get bigger than it. And then after that, I'm like, well, I'm not going to be able to deal with this. So <laughs> it's over. Right. <laughs> and overall, though, things have been going pretty well for me. Um, I, I think almost every draft I've done has been a five win draft. I haven't hit seven, but I haven't had any disaster drafts. And so I'm just chaining them together. Like I had enough gems for one draft and I've just been like going off that. So <laughs> it's always like, I think I hit a four and a six, but honestly, like no other results seem to be coming my way. So I know it, I'm decent. I'm not great. I'm not getting seven. That's, but, you know, it's wonderful to hear that because I have had almost an exact opposite feeling where I either have a great deck that I get seven wins or six, or I still consider five to be good. So five to seven or two to two, two to one wins. Like there's no real middle. It's always like either this deck was terrible. Why did I draft this? Or I just get seven wins and I, I feel awesome. So um, <laughs> that is, uh, <laughs> that's been kind of a roller coaster of, I don't really... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think this is going to be good. And then I play it and I'm like, oh, that was terrible. Um, yeah. But I've been having a blast. I went through all my draft tokens and all my gold. So now I'm going through my gems and I will draft until I'm broke, essentially. That's what I'm going to do. I think as I, as I push up into like platinum, mm -hmm. also, I'll probably start to get a few more of those uh, one or two win runs. That's true. Uh, but anyway, with that, let's just start getting into some of the two color archetypes. So we're going to start with the allied colors, which is all the colors that um, are close together on the color pie, and then we'll do enemies after that. So sure. starting us off, let's talk about white-blue. Um, it seems like white-blue is like the vehicles deck. It's like an artifact-based thing, but there's a lot of cards that care about um, either your vehicles or, or mobilizing them in certain ways. Um, and, well, Jeff, first, before I say what I think, what, what are you thinking about White Blue? Yeah, so vehicles is, is what I would say is, like, what they're pushing on you, if you mm -hmm. look at the signpost uncommon. That's definitely what R&D intended this color pair to do, but I've actually seen quite a few just, like, White Blue control, basically, that just tends to play, like, random blockers, and then uh, there are a lot of strong uh, uncommons and rares in these colors that they use to like take over like the blue one that uh 
it unleashes some sort of beast that uh, has power toughness equal to the number of cards in your hand. That, uh, yes. That, that card. uncommon is like a pretty reasonable control finisher. Yes. And so I've actually run into that more often than I've run into like white, blue, all in on vehicles and making pilots kind of thing. That's um, because uh, white, blue vehicles is bad. <laughs> it's, yeah. I don't think it's good. Yeah, so I don't have a lot of experience with that, but it's it's a tough sell because vehicles inherently uh, are something you don't want a lot of. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you just draw vehicles, you do nothing. You accomplish nothing. And if you draw a bunch of vehicles and one creature, they kill your one creature and you do nothing. Mm-hmm. And they have built in some ways around that. Like some of the vehicles automatically crew the other vehicles, I think. Uh, there's the, there's the, the hangar, the land that you can crew stuff with. So if they do end up right. either, I guess, killing all your creatures or wiping your board, you can still crew them. Um but one thing I thought was strange, because I was really pretty excited about this. I thought it would be it would be cool. And one of the cards I thought would be sweet is Dragonfly Suit, which is the white three mana three two flying for crew one. And I hate it. I can't. It's I don't think it's good. Like I've played, I've drafted it highly in whenever I was like trying to to play around with some white stuff, and it just never seemed good enough. Like it just it it wasn't. It wasn't big enough or, or being a 3-2 instead of a 3-3 because most of the time I felt like I was blocking for some reason. I just Right. Well, because you're playing vehicles, you're on the back. Exactly. It's It was just not strong. Um, and then I have another weird thing is, so you know the hotshot mechanic? Yeah. It's like the, the Savannah Lions that can cruise. So it's a 2-1, but it crews for uh, two power greater than it has. Has the pilot mechanic or whatever. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, great, but every other creature you have basically can crew all the other stuff. Like, right. this pilot, because it's a Savannah line, I guess it can crew... There's So, what I'm saying is, there is one card that has crew cost four or more, and it's just, it's four. Um, and it's a rare, and you're just not going to see it very often. Um, and everything else is a lot of twos and ones and some threes. But it's like... There are a couple crew threes, yeah, but... For the most part, it just seemed like this card wants to be in an aggressive deck and just be a two-one, <laughs> you know. Totally. Um, so, and I like that some of the vehicles make pilots to help try to fight the, um, you know, drawing creatures and vehicles mm-hmm. problem with the deck. Uh, I just don't think it it goes far enough. Like when you play a vehicle, you're kind of putting yourself behind because. It's almost like upgrading a creature. You have to tap one of your creatures to crew the vehicle mm-hmm. rather than actually like committing to the board an, an extra creature. And so the deck is like this weird aggro deck that falls behind in the early game. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because some of the ones that you that are specifically those colors, I'm not really high on. Honestly, of all the vehicles, it might even just be like, for the common and uncommon ones, like Brute Suit is actually pretty good just because it has Vigilance. Some of the vehicles are totally, like, respectable stat lines and whatever. And, and like you're saying, they did try to keep the crew costs low. Mm-hmm. I just don't have that much faith in this as an archetype. I haven't drafted it myself. But I think the way that you're going to get success with white-blue is kind of what I was saying earlier. Like, white and blue are just kind of open. You're taking strong white commons mm-hmm. and strong blue commons. Uh, and then you kind of craft your game plan around that rather than <clears throat> going all in on vehicles. Yeah. And like you were saying before, 
the saga Behold the Unspeakable is just uh, fantastic. It's ex- exactly yeah, the it's... card I don't want to see because I'm always playing aggressive decks. So <laughs> yeah. it's the one that I hate the most. <laughs> yeah, because it does it all, right? You're like, well, I have seven lethal attackers. What are they going to do? It's like, play that. It's like, I now have zero lethal attackers. We, we might come back to this quite often, but I think... Overall, the sagas are all great. They're very good. They're all very good, which makes me lean closer to enchantment strategies if you're going to choose one of the one of them. Just because Mm -hmm. I I just like playing the saga so much. Um it it took me a little bit to to remember that, oh, that's just that's gonna be a creature soon. Because at first when I was playing, I was like, okay, well, that's just gonna die. I don't really care about what happened. I was like, oh no, it turns into a fucking even the white one that just turns into the 2-2 first striker, you're like, God damn it. What the fuck? Yeah, I mean, I like that one because it helps me hit land drops. Early mm-hmm. and right. And just kind of pops into a 2-2 first striker. That you can... um, that would be a great card for the white-blue control version. Because mm-hmm. right? gains you life, it lets you scry, and then it provides a respectable, totally respectable blocker. Oh, for sure. Because most of the, you know, the aggressive creatures, their toughness is pretty, uh, pretty low. So <laughs> Yeah, creatures are pretty small in this format. Mm-hmm. Jeff, mm-hmm. blue black ninjas. Have you been? Have you seen a lot of blue black ninjas? Have you played it in draft? I would say that I had. I don't know if I would call the deck ninjas. I've played against blue black decks that have a, a healthy amount of ninjas, though, mm-hmm. um, and had that myself. But it just doesn't. I don't know. I guess it's the limited version. But tribal and limited is always a bit sketchy. Mm-hmm. It's like I only have like six ninjas. Uh, yeah, it, I I like it. I. I mean, like, I like it as far as, as um, I, I think it's good. I thought it was really interesting that they were able to sneak some artifacts and enchantments uh, in ninja form. Like, some of these yeah. cards, I'll look at it it's like, wait, this is, Moon Circuit Hacker is an enchantment creature? <laughs> I thought this was right. just, like, yeah, yeah. a pretty, like, this is a good, uh, like, you know, draw a card or you're looting or whatever when you ninjutsu in. But it also helps with random enchantment synergies. This is good. Or, like, the Moon Snare Specialist that just bounces something. All these cards are, like... Yeah. These are just, like... Yeah. I I just want... You know, a lot of times you just, like, kind of play some of those by themselves. Because they're, like, sweet. I just need a creature that does this. And it does that. Yeah. I have Moon Snare Specialist as one of the better commons in the, the whole set, actually. Uh, I'm really high on that guy. Yeah. And what's great is that it doesn't... The reason it's good is because you don't need to hit the opponent to do it, right? When I first read it, I thought that's what it did. And I was like, oh, that, that could be okay. It's kind of Mana War-ish. But then I realized, no, it's just ETBs and it does this. It's just a Mana War for four mana that also has a ninjutsu ability. Mm-hmm. So some of these cards that are like, oh, we don't, you know... Wait, are there is there another ninja that doesn't really care about hitting your opponent? I'm not sure. Um, but this is definitely the ninja I've seen the most because... Obviously, it goes into a lot of different decks because it's just generically good. Um, so I, some of these cards, it's like ninjutsu is just a, like an extra ability. And if and I kind of think right. of the ninja, like the ninjas a little bit like that, where sometimes it's just the extra ability. The other one that I was thinking about is the um, the black artifact one, uh, the um, Nazumi Prowler. It has an enters the battlefield effect that gives a creature death touch and lifelink. I think there's a ninja in black that's just a 3-2 lifelink with ninjutsu as well. Yes. 
So it doesn't, it kind of cares about hitting them, but not really because like it has lifelink, I guess, but it doesn't actually have a saboteur ability. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Um, but which funnily enough, if when I'm playing in a blue black deck, I do like that one because just having a three, two lifelink is pretty strong. Um, cause you know, black gains a lot of life in this set with the leech gauntlet and this, it it's does, just like yeah. leech gauntlet, um, that thing. I, I really like it, <laughs> but I like... I, I think Leech Gauntlet yeah. is great. And we talked a little bit about it last time, but Reconfigure is just really strong. Mm -hmm. And so almost any card that has Reconfigure is like at least playable. And then like Leech Gauntlet, 2-2 <laughs> two, two, Lifelink for 2 is already solid. And then it has Reconfigure, just makes it much stronger. Yeah, you're like, oh, uh, now the my biggest creature has Lifelink. And then you kill the biggest creature, you're like, oh, now I have a 2-2 two, two with Lifelink. <laughs> just like... Right. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> no way to get out of the lifeline. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been really impressed with Blue Black Ninjas. It's it's fun to play. I think it's pretty good. I think it's one of the better decks um, or one of the stronger archetypes, mm -hmm. at least so far. And uh, I would say I wanted to call out uh, that, I think you talked a little bit about it a while ago, but Network Disruptor. Mm -hmm. That card has been surprisingly good. Like yeah. we keep, again, we keep talking about one drops being good. So maybe I should stop saying it's surprising. But uh, Network Disruptor has just been awesome because it just helps you get your ninjas through whether you draw it early or whether you draw it late. Yeah. And I love picking it up. I think the thing I didn't realize when I first saw it was that you get to pick it up and then use it again on a later turn to tap something down and kind of keep your ninjutsu rolling yeah because uh, one of the problems with ninjutsu is after you ninja something in now it has to get through on its own exactly and this card just helps it's it's great um yeah man uh i haven't seen nearly as many as opening weekends uh so i think the uh, the cat's out of the bag with that <laughs> card uh might have to pick them a little bit higher than you'd expect and i also love hold on picking up creatures that were sagas that's also oh my dope. god it's so nice you get to Picking up Life of Toshiro, like the flip side of Life of Toshiro is amazing. Because most of the time, because it's a 2-3, like I never use the other ability, like the mana ability. I don't care yeah. about it. They just like people, when you attack with a bunch of like, you know, your three creatures into their, they just aren't blocking the 2-3 because they don't just want to chump. And that's usually what's happening. They're like, I'll take the trades and not chump. And they're like, cool. All right, I'll ninjutsu that. <laughs> bring it back to my hand, play a different creature, gain three life, I guess, most of the time, and then just start that saga over again. Ugh. I actually had a, had a funny board where I had that and another 2-3, and I forget which what it was, um, but I attacked with both, and they blocked the other one with their 2-3. And I was like, you are really going to regret this. Mm -hmm. Like picked, it, picked up my life of Toshiro with a, a huge ninja and then replayed it, giving minus one, minus one to their 2-3. You're killing it. Died. Oh, like, yeah, that's you awesome. blocked the wrong two, three. Buddy. You didn't think about it. Because I think what some people's mentality is that, oh, the creature's the best part of the saga. Once I get to the creature, I feel great and I want to keep it that way. Well, I think you should think completely the opposite, where if you can replay a saga, that's really awesome. Yeah. Think of it as like a almost like a creature with an ETB. It's just the body's a bit delayed, but mm -hmm. you want to pick up creatures with ETBs. Absolutely. All right, Jeff, you, I know you want to talk about this next one. <laughs> yeah, all right. So up next, we're going to talk about Rakdos, um, the best color pair uh, <laughs> in Magic. 
And uh, it's exactly what you would think. Surprise, surprise. The red-black deck is a sacrifice theme. <gasps> what? But this time it's a little different because it's artifact sacrifice in mm. particular. There's a lot of cards that sacrifice artifacts. Uh, the Oni Cult Anvil being kind of the, the signpost highlight that lets you know this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Have you uh, gotten to play with or against this deck a lot? Yes. Yeah, I played... Um... I've, I think I've played against it mainly, but I've played with it a couple of times and it was, it was, uh, pretty nice. I, uh, I do like it because, um, unless you're playing against green, which will have trample having like a bunch, like getting the anvil and then making sure that you always have like a one, one or a couple one ones lying around. Um, you can block sack a lot and it's just amazing. Um, until there's a trampler, then you're kind of uh, having a hard time, but. I was just about to say, so I have this deck as kind of like upper mid-pack. Like mm -hmm. I have blue-black as maybe not the top deck, maybe second, something like that. Um, Black-red, I have upper mid-pack, mm -hmm. uh, like slightly above middle. And I think one of the reasons is that there's a lot of trample. Yeah. And so a lot of your shenanigans, like I've had played against people who were doing this whole, like I have two Oni cult anvils and I'm just like cycling through and creating a whole bunch of dorks. And then I was like, all right, well, I have a 3-2 that's flying that's wearing an equipment that gives it plus 2, plus 0. Oh, so uh, are you going to do anything about that? Or <laughs> are you just going to delay how long it takes this thing to kill you? Yeah. And that's basically what happened is I just attacked with my 5-power flyer every single turn. And they did a lot of fancy stuff, but they did not win the game. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like the deck can do that a bit. Like, in order to enable this, sometimes you're playing some un cards that are individually underpowered. Mm-hmm. But one of the cards I think is really good for this deck, and just like pretty good in general, is the Experimental Synthesizer, which is the yeah. single red artifact that enters and basically draws you a card. But also when it leaves, you draw a card. I didn't remember that part. That's the, mm -hmm. the part of the chunk of that's, text that's key. that I that's missed. Because <laughs> um, it does also sacrifice itself to make a 2-2. Um, so originally in my mind, I was like, sweet, this is a good card for like the artifact deck. That's like the, you know caring about like lots of artifacts or, or playing a bunch of them um mm -hmm. but no that card's just good also that that card's just good for red decks i guess <laughs> like yeah i played it in like a red white aggro deck earlier so play it it's a good i was like hey it, it makes a samurai right i can justify its inclusion <laughs> just, yeah or you know gets you your second land drop or anything that you need um it's a good card who knew looking at yeah. more cards and playing them it's good <laughs> So if you're playing black red, I would caution you a bit on going all in on the artifact sacrifice theme. It's powerful, um, but it's not like the old you know sacrifice decks of of yore where you're like stealing something and then bashing them for mm -hmm. five with it, and sacking it to draw two cards. It's not really like that. It's kind of a more of an engine type of thing, and these engines can be difficult to pull together. Yeah, like Oni Cult Anvil sucks on its own it needs artifacts that do like it's great with the synthesizer like you just mentioned mm -hmm. but uh on its own it doesn't do anything so you need to it like sacks itself to ping you and, and make a one one yeah that's um, no it does really like treasures um yes so if you have a treasure generator there's that uh, the black one that's a one four what's it undercity mm -hmm. scrounger um that card is helpful in this deck because you're sacrificing things that are usually creatures and then uh you get treasures that you sack to play things that also give you another creature that's the one one 
Um, so that yeah. tends to be... That, and that's a, it's a good combo, right? Because mm-hmm. you're... In order to activate that, a creature needs to die, and you can sack your 1-1 to make that happen. Mm-hmm. So that's a nice little combo where you're, like, alternating, getting treasures and 1-1s every turn. But um, overall, like, if you're in black-red, either you hit the nuts and, like, drafted a constructed deck, and then you're going to be laughing, or you're mostly there because you just got some good black removal and, you know, some whatever, some, and then hit, the, hit a couple of decent black-red gold cards or something. Yeah, totally. Um... But this next color pair, so green-red, I've played this quite a bit because I think that green is really strong and mm-hmm. modified is good. I like, I it just feels yeah. strong. There's a lot of great ways to get plus one, plus one counters on your creatures. Um, mm-hmm. Also, like, you know, I like auras and, and uh, enchantments and stuff. But yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I do feel like this deck's pretty good because, again, you have... Um, these trampling cards, like you're always going to be able to grab like the Tanuki, greater Tanuki, um, which is nice, you know, at any point of the game to either get another land or have this big trampler that you can put more counters on. Mm-hmm. But it's just been, it's, I mean, I've also been lucky enough to open Jugan Defense the Temple a couple times. So okay. um, that, <laughs> that might be pushing me into, this is why I like modified, um, and specifically the one with uh, red. But I do think that I've been playing a few drafts where the, um, what's the card called? The freaking uh, Aki Ember Keeper. You talked about this like two weeks ago, which is the enchantment creature that's a 2-1 that whenever a non-token to modified creature dies, you create a 1-1 spirit. This card yeah. is just wheeling. Like I've been seeing this a lot and people are just saying, I don't give a shit about this card. You take it. I'm like, Okay, I will take it. I, I want it. Yeah. Which is also helpful because then you can have... There's the Iron Assistant. Is that what it's called? Apprentice. Iron Apprentice. Which is that kind of stupid artifact 1-1 one, one creature that's modified immediately. But in this deck, it's nice. You are really happy to have a modified creature on turn 1. And you're like, yes, thank you. And then when it dies, <laughs> you still have a modified creature. And most of your cards only care about you having one modified creature. So right. that is a really helpful card in that process where you're just continuing this weird chain of, I always have something modified. Yeah, totally. Uh, I like modified as well. I think it's nice. And I think the bonuses they give are like reasonable, um, but not like the cards aren't bad without them. So mm-hmm. it, it's just like slightly below average card turns into slightly above average card if you have modified. So it's not like all about whether you have modified and that's going to dictate whether you win or lose yeah so you mentioned the strength of green i I currently think i have green as the best color i i agree i really think green's the best and if i had to choose right now i'd probably say red is the worst which means i i just like my brain puts this deck at mid back Mm because it's like it has the best color paired with the worst color uh and it's not like a super strong synergy theme uh so it's probably just a mid pack deck um that being said you you could draft an awesome red-green deck, um, or you could draft a mediocre red-green deck. Um, and so I've played against some pretty good ones. I think when I drafted red-green, I, I ended up with one of the mediocre mm-hmm. <laughs> versions that uh, was a little uninspired, and I, that one I was happy to get to five wins with. You know when you're like really excited that a deck managed to get mm-hmm. to five? Yeah. And then some decks you're like, oh, I was hoping for better than five. This was a I can't believe I got to five kind of deck, so... 
it was just uh, lucky lucky draws kind of yeah but i think the deck is is kind of it's just solid i agree with that i think part of the reason why i think green is so great is also master's rebuke is pretty good um as mm -hmm. far as green removal spells go i it feels this is like really strong compared to like yeah, yeah. Some of the other removal spells we have in the set, not that Master, like Master's Rebuke is not the best removal spell in the set. Absolutely not. Um, but sometimes we have fight spells that are just kind of like, uh, and this is a bite spell where you don't even have to worry about your creature dying. So, and it's instant speed. And that's what we always talk about with those kinds of spells. So Yeah, it's, it's a better, one of the better versions. Um, yeah, green kind of reminds me of black from, uh, what was it, Midnight Hunt? Mm -hmm. Where you look at the commons, you're like, every common is good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there are no commons that I'm like, maybe there's one common that I'm really unhappy to put in my deck and pretty much everything else is, is like pretty good. It's like all the commons are C pluses or whatever. If you want to go by that, that scale. Yeah. Um, and then some of the uncommons are amazing and green has, we talked about how the sagas are good. Mm -hmm. Green has the most. Ooh, so. I actually did not know it had the most, but that would make sense for why it was yeah. the best. <laughs> um, but, uh, but all right, so the the green red modified deck, it might just be my pet deck, but not one of the best ones. Um, what do you think about the next color pair? Doesn't mean I'm necessarily right, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I just added it. I added mid pack partially because I drafted a disaster version of it. Mm. Um, so I know there's a low end to that deck. Mm -hmm. Let's just put it that way. Uh, yeah, green white is up next. Celestia. This is an enchantments theme, and if I had to choose right now. This is my number one. This is my number one deck in the format. Mm -hmm. um, which is really surprising to me. Green-White has been bad for a while. Yeah, I feel... Wait, when was the last time Green-White didn't suck? <laughs> it's, has it been over a year? It wasn't good... I feel like... Well, it was maybe mid-pack in Midnight Hunt. It was terrible in Crimson Vow. Terrible in Crimson Vow. pretty bad in... D&D. &D. In Adventures of the Forgotten Realms. I think it was pretty bad. You wouldn't ever play white green in Strixhaven because that wasn't right. one of the color pairs. <laughs> and then in Kaldheim, you weren't because white was really bad, right? Yeah, it was like Kaldheim was a bit of Sultai versus Boros kind, mm -hmm. of, kind of vibe to it. So you never played white green. So, uh, yeah, it's been a year. Wow. <laughs> um, but hey, it's it's great. It's great. Again. Hey, enchantments, really strong. This is the archetype that cares the most about enchantments. It has the most things that pay you off for playing enchantments. Um, it's good. I like it. I It has trampoline enchantments. Um, I was... So I haven't been able to build a great version of this deck, but I've been destroyed by it so many times that I know it's good. Like, I just know yeah. it. <laughs> you just, like, keep getting your ass kicked. And it, one way you can tell if you think... A, you know, if you're trying to make the leap to deciding for yourself what you think the best color pair is, mm -hmm. is this this happened to me earlier. My opponent went, like, turn one forest, and then they went turn two planes, and I was just like, oh, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> and you'll get that feeling of, like, shit, I was hoping they were going to play, like, a, you know. Mountain. A mountain, yeah. <laughs> they'd be in a terrible deck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I was playing a weird, it, it, I don't, it wasn't a weird version of this deck, but... Um, I had, uh, Norika Yamazaki, the poet. Um, yeah. sorry, I said that weird. It's Norika Yamazaki, the poet. There you go. The poet. That, that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> um, but it was super fun. I hadn't really picked either of the sisters before. Um, but being able to just like attack with this or like, um, 
the uh, the Moth Rider Patrol, the one one flyer, because it's a warrior. You just attack for one in the air, and then just it's it's a hey, it's a one drop. It's really good. Um, Yeah. So you just attack in the air, and you just keep playing every card that you've channeled, um, any card that you just want to replay. You're like, okay. The, the samurai that I paid two to go get a planes, now I'm going to play him as a 4-4 with Vigilance. He dies. I'm going to do it again next turn. And you just keep cycling through your cards over and over again, which was a blast, except for I kept losing. I just kept losing with that deck. I could not win <laughs> for the life of me, but I had so much fun doing those. I like, mean, that sounds great. It, yeah. was, it was great. And winning combats I shouldn't win with weird like right. combat tricks that they weren't expecting and like continuing to keep this poet on the battlefield so they were just like so mad um and then they eventually win but anyway it was a lot of fun i i i like that quite a bit so hey enchantments are great yeah i mean this this deck reminds me of why like blue white was the best in uh or you know arguably it was the top two so arguably the best in midnight hunt is that all of their creatures got extra value because they all had disturb Mm -hmm. This feels like that. All of my creatures are sagas that do two other things <laughs> in addition to being a creature. Yeah. And it's like, it's just so hard to outgrind that. You feel like you need to draw so many more cards than your opponent because all of their cards, like all of the green-white cards do extra stuff. Exactly. Um, they also We already mentioned that green is probably the best color, so... Yeah. Um, and white has a good amount of flyers as well. Just like randomly, we have like the... One mana, one, one. And then you have like that, uh, the befriending the moths that helps uh, make your creatures right. flying for a bit. Um, as well as the, just like the, the three mana, two, three with lifelink is a really great place to put extra counters that you don't know where you should put them. You're like, oh, I'll throw them on the lifelink creature. And now they're bigger. <laughs> totally. It's just, um, I am, I'm happy with this deck. It's good. Yeah. I mean, also Jukai Naturalist is busted in half. That card is fucked up. <laughs> like, what the hell is that? I got totally rocked by a green-white earlier today where they mulled to five, but they had one drop, and then the two drop was the naturalist, and then they were just playing, like, literally their curve was perfect, but they were playing one ahead of curve every turn. And it just felt like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. This naturalist is already, like, a 5-5 five, five because of random counters with life length. My opponent's at 42 life. Like, <sighs> I feel like I'm just so far behind. Yeah. Um, well, that's, like, how I feel with... I mean, I don't... This isn't specific. This is just green being strong. But Roaring Earth on turn two is yeah. so irritating. <laughs> just, like... Oh, yeah. Roaring Earth is brutal. Uh, the other one that always gets me is the turn two, like, Azusa thing. Mm-hmm. And then they just jump up an extra land, and then later they're going to get a 3-3 that untaps their lands. It's like, what is this card? It's like... <laughs> so you don't want to block it, but then you're getting hit with a 3-3, and then you're like, I guess I have to trade for it? <laughs> it's just... Oh. And then I remember, like, that card had such a huge impact on that game. And I ended up losing with my opponent at three... And after the game, I remembered that chapter two of that thing gains three life. And I was like, this fucking card single-handedly beat me. Like, <laughs> So so this is another reason. So there are, I'm just going to quickly say this before we go to a beer break. But um, artifact enchant removal is very helpful. But specifically enchantment removal. There are yeah. some artifact ones that I think are pretty bad. I don't really like explosive entry. And um, I haven't really seen the white one. Uh, any play anyone play like the one mana white one 
that destroys an artifact. Green one is awesome, though. But the the fade into uh, antiquity. Antiquity. Exiling an artifact or enchantment is huge. I know it's sorcery speed, yeah. but that's a good card. You should you should play this card. And I also like the four mana white one that exiles either a creature with power four or greater or an enchantment. Um, normally, I don't love those only destroy big creature cards, mm -hmm. but the fact that it says or an enchantment has made it uh, good enough to make my main decks, I think. Because once again, uh, it's showing that enchantments are strong, that you want to be like exiling or destroying enchantments, and you will find a good target. You're not just going to find a target, you're going to find one that you actually want to kill. So, um, yeah, take these when you see, like, you don't have to take them high, of course, cause you'll, you'll see them, but, um, don't, don't just write them off like you normally do. And I just thought of it. So my, the last thought before the beer break, uh, cause I know you're going to ask me, <laughs> I wanted to bring this up about green, white. Okay. People, you, our listeners, you have to get ahead of this, but I don't know what's going on, but in my drafts, people are passing Michiko's reign of truth like crazy that card goes really late and i get that that card reads like it gives plus one plus one or plus two plus two twice in a row and then it like turns into something that's like a two two or a three three or whatever that's not what the card does okay it gives something like plus five plus five or plus six plus six because a lot of your random two drops and three drops are enchantments and it does that twice and then makes a huge creature all for two mana don't maybe don't play it in like your I don't know, white-blue vehicles deck or something. But in especially in green-white, the card is insane. You should not be passing it. That Even way. in your vehicles deck, play <laughs> that. Just make sure you put the stop so you can crew your vehicle during your uh, your draw step. But, like... Right, because you need to target the vehicle. <laughs> with the thing, but, like, if you have a flyer or anything, it just means you're going to have a bunch of uh, artifacts sitting around for that... Plus a lot of your removal is enchantment based. So you just, you'll have a bunch of like Tamiyo's completion or the, the, the one that cares about crewing stuff. Like just come like, it's good. Yeah, the card is just, it, yeah, I was trying to think of what deck it's bad in, but it's, I don't just don't think it's bad in any deck. No, it's, it's just always pumps for so much more than you think it's going yeah. to. Even pump, like it easily will pump for three regularly and you're pretty happy with that being able to attack unscathed like your best creature is just not going to die in any sort of capacity right? exactly whatever you think the average it's pumping for I, I guarantee you it's higher than what you're thinking the average is now and it yeah it always makes combat a total nightmare for your opponent yeah especially because they have to deal with it once and they're like oh fuck that's happening again oh right <laughs> so anyway that's what we think uh we have some enemy colored uh, Paris coming up after the beer break, so stay tuned for that. This beer break is brought to you by our patrons over at Patreon. That's right. You're already supporting the show just by being a listener. But if you want to support the show even more, the Patreon is the best way to do that. And when you become a patron, you get an exclusive invite to our after party, which is a mini episode recorded immediately after this one that we talk about, um, I don't know, uh, other things besides magic and, and beer. Yeah, whatever we want, pretty much. Yeah. Plus... You get to vote on which host is your favorite by buying Jeff a beer. It's a button right on the Patreon. You just click that. Um, you can click it as many times as you want to vote multiple times. It's really great. It's just a great feature we offer. Yeah. Or you could 
be like everybody else that is our patrons and buy me a beer because I am uh, winning <laughs> so far. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping I'd uh, speak so long that you'd forget to. <laughs> nope, I didn't. So continue to help me win uh, being the best host by going to patreon.com slash arena regulars to vote for me. <laughs> Got these uh, bottles here today. Yeah, different, different sound. Yeah. All right, so uh, what do we got up next, Zach? What's on um, tap here? We have a beer that I can't see the name of at the moment because I'm pouring it, but the color... I know, I thought I'd ask you while you were pouring classic, it. Classic, so of course. I know you didn't know the name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the beer name is uh, Sutoko. Uh, it's 7.3%, and it is a mm. stock ale. So the, uh, it's like a 19th century English style. And they keep the the beer in these uh, barrels for quite a while. It gives it like a funk kind of taste. And uh, anyway, they say to be excited because this is not your normal stock ale. So um, I'm excited to be surprised and it's delighted. Not your, not your stock stock ale. Yeah, there you go. It's not, not just your stock ale. And it has some, uh, it, it looks kind of like it has some sediment floating in it or like kind of the... Um, what we normally see in like a hazy IPA or things like that. So that's uh Yeah. Definitely a high opacity beer. Yeah. High opacity. Okay. It's a fancy way of saying it's opaque. Yeah. That's what I was assuming. But, um, you know, at me not being super fancy, I don't always know these things. But. All right. Anyway, let's get back to our breakdown of the archetypes. And we're going right into blue red artifacts. I've tried to play this deck a couple times. Um, you, sometimes splashing black or white, uh, but um, I haven't had a lot of success with it. I've heard it's pretty good. There are cards that I really like in this archetype, but um, I haven't really had it like really click. What about you? Yeah, so I've had the same thing. I've drafted this a couple of times and just been underwhelmed, and both off what I thought were really good starts, like the um, the uncommon that makes it all cheaper. You know, mm -hmm. like red blue reds version of the the jukai uh the green white one mm -hmm. and my experience is that the green white one is awesome and wins games on its own and the blue red one doesn't do much mm -hmm. um yeah so i'm starting with the signpost uncommon that seems ultra powerful and then a few like other strong commons or uncommons and the decks just always felt just like lacking a little punch i want to say mm -hmm. and like you have been seeing stuff online that the deck's really good um, but I haven't seen that on either end of the table. I've tried to make it work a couple of times myself to mediocre results. And when my opponents have it, they never seem to be doing anything too impactful either. The thing I've seen like my opponents do, or usually the card I lose to, is literally just the, the Sky Swimmer Koi, which is the 4-mana 3-3 three, three flyer that is in yeah. there just because when you play artifacts that like loots. Um, mm -hmm. but it's like, oh crap, a three, three flyer. That's hard. And that's usually what you're dealing with. Um, I think there are some fun things with like the replication specialist. And that's usually a card I'm most excited to play with just because copying artifacts is really fun. So, yeah. um, but besides that, I, the cards that I liked or was more impressed with were the two that have the, the channel abilities. It's the like 
Saiba Trespassers and then the Moon Snare prototype. I don't know how great they are, but they did feel really nice to have like two cards in one. Like that, I was usually happy to be like, all right, I can either do two of these, these two different things, especially just like putting something on top or bottom of someone's library was, it was just like nice. I it, like normally when I look at that card, I don't think it does that. And then rewiring my brain to be like, no, this can do this ability was really right. good. Yeah. Like, I think it's funny that, you know, blue black is ninjas and blue red is artifacts. Mm -hmm. um, but I've actually had more success playing blue black artifacts than I have blue red artifacts. Mm -hmm. Um, like, I think red black's just kind of a stronger color than red and has a similar thing going where a lot of its creatures are, like, incidentally artifact creatures um, that you don't realize at first. And so a lot of these cards that seem like they were built to be in the blue-red deck, like, they actually fit okay in blue-black. Now, to be fair, the blue-black deck, that I, artifact deck that I built had Tezzeret. But still. Like, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, like, I could have put Tezzeret in a blue-red deck. I just didn't. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think, like, red's maybe not pulling enough weight here. Uh, yeah. Blue's not, blue's not so powerful to kind of drag it up, kind of like green did with, uh, with green red. Mm -hmm. That's my initial take on this archetype. Um, but you could do, like you said, you could do some cool stuff, and it's it can be fun uh, when stuff comes together. It's just like feels like one of those like blue red is always one of those decks where it has to come together in order to be good, and there's a high fail rate. Um, usually it's because it's a spells deck, but this it feels like it has the same problem here. And then I feel like when it comes together, it's not so good to make up for the, the fail rate. Yeah. I mean, I do like the patchwork automaton and uh, the containment construct are usually artifacts that I'm, I'm looking to have in that deck, but they still never do that much though. They're, they're kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah. Like, I like the sphere too. The sphere is a card that I definitely like. Mm -hmm. It's like, is it, is it? doing that much though or is it just cool is it just cool i think that's what it is um yeah, yeah that must be what it is because uh, it, it's it's been nice to to have those things or um i was playing some like jeskai stuff but i think that was it wasn't a jeskai deck as more it was like the mech titan core deck um and so it just happened to have colors but most of the cards i was playing were colorless so um, yeah. And then it's like, you know, one of the payoffs ostensibly for being artifacts is, uh, what's it called there? Um, the counterspell disruption protocol. Right. But it's like, it's like, that's not even that good in limited, like to jump through all these hoops to get a counterspell. It's like, you're probably turning it on by the time you would have had cancel anyways. Like mm -hmm. that's a constructed payoff. And so I think this deck kind of suffers from the fact that they were targeting, maybe some constructed viability mm -hmm. and sacrificed a little bit of limited power for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so once again, Hey, uh, enchantments being strong because your sagas come down and do things and then flip to creatures and then artifacts being yeah. like, well, you have a vehicle, so you need two creatures to have one creature. Um, right. Not a uh, great theme here. Yep. Continuing that uh, thing. But, you know, we talked about enchantments, we talked about artifacts. How about we talk about enchantments and artifacts, <laughs> both yeah, working together? <laughs> Jeff, how do you feel about white-black? Uh, it's good. I wish there were fewer artifacts and more enchantments, so it was more like white-green, you know? Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, <laughs> white-black is pretty good. I think this is one of those decks that I am going to like more than everybody else. Like, it's going to be one of those things where it's going to be, like, 
middle pack or below, but I just like it. So mm-hmm. I, I, it's my third most drafted deck or something. Yeah. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with this one, so I just keep like veering towards it. Uh, and but I kind of have I admit that it's probably just okay <laughs> as far as archetypes go. I've been. Uh... I've played against it quite a bit, and um, people are playing a, a lot of Kami of Terrible Secrets, which is yeah. one of the good payoffs, um, which I think is good, uh, but it's never, like, wowed me, where there's, like, they're playing a bunch of them. I'm like, cool, where is the card I'm really scared of, you know? Um, yeah. So... Like, a 3-4 draw card for 4 is amazing. It's just... It doesn't always line up that way, and they can like interact with it while it's on the stack mm-hmm. by taking out your only artifact or whatever. Um, so it reads like, whoa, three, four for four that draws a card, especially in a format where everything's tiny. This card's amazing, but uh, it's actually somewhat rare that you get that. Yeah, and I think you're right in saying that you should prioritize uh, enchantments. You should just prioritize enchantments, but especially in this deck, that tends to be the one that you're kind of missing. When you're trying to be like, all right, mm-hmm. I need an artifact and enchantment. I have the artifact. Where's the enchantment? Tends to be what I have felt a lot. Yeah. You got to be on the lookout for enchantment creatures. Like even just the dorky 2-1 samurai that is meant for the samurai deck because it has an ability of whatever a warrior attacks alone or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that it's a two drop enchantment creature, I've found it to be kind of useful in this deck to yeah. turn that stuff on. That, that card is definitely better than, um, than you think. Because it also just attacks as a three-two, which is nice. But yeah, in that in this deck, of course, uh, Spirited Companion is very strong, just because it is like you like the the one one body on this. Not that you never want a body with the card that you're drawing, but the fact that the dog sits around and just is your enchantment, and nobody really wants to kill it. Um, that's a uh, it's just like having free enchantments. That's a good shout out too, because I don't know if we've mentioned Spirited Companion yet, and uh, that card is great. And the fact that it's an enchantment creature is a big reason why. Yeah, I I think that's a big, and to me, it's a huge reason why that card is, uh, mm-hmm. is sticking around. I mean, if it was a dog samurai, would it be nearly as good <laughs> instead of an I enchantment mean, that'd be dog? Pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it would make the card much worse. <laughs> um. And, um, of course, uh, I, I mentioned before, but having Twisted Embrace is obviously huge because it's an enchantment and your big removal spell, um, which it is slow, but mm-hmm. the fact that it sticks around and helps you, specifically in this deck, to, to help with those uh, other synergies, big, big ups. Yeah, Twisted Embrace is great, mm-hmm. um, and which just makes me think, like, they did a really good job with the removal in this set, I think, because... There's a few, like, uncommon powerhouse removals, but for the most part, all the removal has its strengths and weaknesses. So, uh, but there's plenty of it. Yeah. Like, every deck is going to have to build in a different removal suite. And I'm not even that upset about playing the enchantment ones, or, um, I mean, obviously this is enchantment one, but, like, the pacifisms or, like, the the claustrophobias and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. They're still all... They never, none of them feel too terrible because all the removal kind of feels quite similar on, on power level. It doesn't seem like exactly. one is so busted that the other ones are like shitty. Like there, there isn't really like the six mana kind of clunky removal spell. Um, everything seems pretty, 
everyone has their their version of it but they all seem on the a really similar power level which makes me really happy so yeah i think the green bite spell might be one of the best ones mm-hmm. usually that's not the case usually the green fight or bite spell is like below all the other good common removal but above the bad ones so it's usually ends up being like mid pack or upper mid pack yeah and the one mana red one uh is a shock or you have to two for one to to be able to bring it up up a notch so well i was just gonna say so white black got two themes that means they probably took a theme from one of the other decks so up next we have a deck that has zero themes um that's green black you want to talk a little bit about green black yeah what's green black's theme what is it i don't know (laughs) (laughs) just look to the uncommon and it'll tell you right yeah the uncommon is an enchantment creature that returns a permanent card from a graveyard to your hand um cool so like value value i don't really know um i know it's good though like card is awesome that card is awesome there's good like you basically just play the best black cards and the best green cards and you're yeah. set. Like, well, you see, they tried giving black green a theme last time, and it was such a disaster that they went back to their usual thing of just black green doesn't get a theme. <laughs> it's just good stuff. Like, it, it's good that all your cards do things, and they, for the most part, don't really care about other stuff. They're like solid rate. Um, you can still use Akiba Salvage, is the, uh, mm-hmm. what is it, reanimation spell, which on the card reads as if it's a white black card but it's still obviously good in black green so yeah black green's theme i guess is these are the best two colors yeah (laughs) and you so your deck's gonna be pretty good i got maybe blue i have like black and blue are probably pretty close and Mm -hmm. blue's the best um so i don't know if black's actually the second best color but i think my currently if i had to choose i would say it is so this deck actually ends up being good for once black green has not been you know, like green white, mm-hmm. black green has, has played uh, has sat in the garbage tier for quite a while now, mm-hmm. and now I think it's up there. Like, uh, I think green white's my favorite, and then black green's probably second or third best. You know, depending on if it's better than blue black, I don't know, but um, I think just it's, on raw power of its cards, I think it's better than blue black. Um, but you know, why choose when you can play all of them? And then Tatsunari Toad Rider is your uh, your uh, main you theme go. that brings Sold it all together. Die. Boom, <laughs> done. I thought you were gonna talk about five color shrines there for a second. Oh no, we will get into that. Um, maybe if we have if we have time, we'll, we'll talk about it. But um, basically, black green seems strong. Play all the best cards, but. You know, instead of playing all the best cards, what if you played all the worst cards? <laughs> yeah, that's what our friends in the Boros Legion are, uh, are <laughs> testing. Uh. Um, yeah, red white stinks. Uh, it's, so one of the problems is the theme. Mm-hmm. The theme is like attacking with one creature. It's the exalted theme, mm-hmm. but it's an aggro deck, so you kind of want to be attacking with many creatures. Like that's how you get ahead. It's, a lot of creatures and attack with them so it feels like a lot of your creatures are just vanilla two ones or like mm-hmm. three twos because you're, you're always like is it better to attack with one creature or all of my creatures and you're usually like well all of them so i guess i don't get any of the bonuses on any of my cards mm-hmm. and uh i'm just playing vanilla understated stuff i think the only reason you'd want to be close to this is um imperial subduer is a card i usually like 
Um, now, normally it will just attack by itself and tap stuff, but if you have a couple of these with one samurai that you're happy with, then maybe, but I've even played, like I had this deck with the, the rare that gives you extra attack steps. And mm -hmm. I think I had both Rizona, which is like the, the sorry commander. That's the one that gets the indestructible counter, but is it yeah. just like, it's just a three mana three, three with haste. That's kind of hard to attack or sorry, play. Uh, it's hard yeah. to cast. Um, but Ryu Storm's Edge is a reason that you could play this because you basically have to have a fake combat. Like Ryu, so this is the one, it's a four mana three three with first strike. And then when you attack with a samurai warrior alone, you untap it and then have a second combat. But in the second combat, you can attack with everybody. So like you send one scout out and then you attack with everybody. That's the only like the only reason I've ever been okay with playing that deck. But if you don't have that card, it feels bad. And then you're just waiting for the one card that gives you extra combats and you're probably dead. Like Yeah, and like you were mentioning, there's a lot of lifelink or life gain. There's so much. Sort of in this format. So it feels bad to be the the one-dimensional aggro deck. Mm -hmm. You, know, you want to usually play a deck that can be aggro if it gets the right draw, but it doesn't have to be if you don't curve out perfectly you don't just lose which is what this deck feels like or only play one drops in red and don't play any other colors <laughs> yeah and then you're you're going so fast that there's nothing that they can do so yeah i've drafted red white twice both times it was like five two i think the first time was my very first time and i spoke about it last time i drafted all the simian things mm -hmm. or whatever and i just had like i just loved the you know, this humanoid samurai running in with four monkey slings. Like, ah! <laughs> um, like, I don't know what's happening here, but this dude is slinging. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that, that actually worked pretty well. I had like seven or eight one drops. And then the other time I did pretty well with it was because I had all of the like rares. I had the, mm. this one drop equipment rare that gave stuff plus two plus oh, and then all of the code words or the, keywords of anything that had died with the oh right before. all the code words i like that your your yeah. code word is death touch <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so all of my stuff had like plus two plus oh vigilance and first strike and sometimes flying when it's cost one to equip uh then i had the three three haster like you said and then uh that is true i think even so so then Having Eater of Virtue, which is that card you're talking about, attacking with one creature and then trading off in combat is, isn't the worst because then you just get right. a better equipment. Okay, I like that. That seems good. Especially when... And like a one mana bone splitter or whatever is already fine. It turns all of your creatures into... You have to trade with this. Yeah. Like, are you getting abilities from the other samurai that are like, all right, yeah. when this attacks, it gives it a keyword and then you steal the keyword forever? Yeah, and then I also had all of the... Um, uncommons like that the red white uncommon and like the white uncommon that it's the flying samurai right and, um, the deck was just high powered um because i had a lot of rares and uncommons um and that's why i was in red white but those those are the only two two times i've drafted with it and i had success the mm -hmm. first time probably because nobody knew what they were doing and the second time because the deck just had all of these rares classic rare. so hey if it's open jump in but, uh, yeah, I guess that's the point. It's not unplayable, but it's uh, not where you want to be. Yeah, I don't think anything is unplayable, including right. my least favorite color combination, <laughs> which is yeah. blue-green cards. 
Once again. <laughs> yep. What is Blue Green's theme? I don't know. Channel? Is that a... Yeah. That's just... I, I think its theme is we have the best and third best color. <laughs> that seems like it. Or, or is it ramp? Because it has like a... The, the signpost uncommon is expensive. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And Ward. Hey, Ward is a, is a deck type. Um, right. So anyway, this... This deck is actually pretty good uh, because you're obviously you're playing green, so green is good, and uh, I think that's the motto: green is good. Just remember that. Yeah. Um, but there is a combo that's primarily in this color combination, um, and it's not a so it's a loop. It's not a combo, but um, if you play the signpost on common, which is the harder one to get, but you can still easily get it. The turtle, and then you have season of renewal, which is a common green card. Uh, so this com this combo is actually just mono green. You don't even need to play yeah. the turtle ever, but it just is usually better if you could play the turtle for another reason. But right, the turtle gets better if you can do the other two options. <laughs> yeah, but basically the season of renewal returns a creature and an enchantment to your hand, and then the turtle returns a card to your hand from your graveyard. So basically you play the season of renewal to get back your turtle and an enchantment or a creature. It doesn't matter because the turtle is an enchantment creature. And then you play the turtle to get the season of renewal back and you just keep getting one extra card each time and using whatever you want. So Damn, that's slow, but I love it. It's very slow, but you'll watch it killing you and you just, there's an impending doom of every turn you're top decking a land and being like, well, I'm going <laughs> to concede because... Yeah. I can't. It's it's really slow, but it will get you. Because um, if you play against this deck, there's a lot of like board stall stuff. Because they're just going to play the 2-mana three, 3-3 three, three defender that with reach. And then put uh, plus 1, plus 3 on it. And then you're like, okay, well, it's hard to attack through this fucking thing. And then... It just... Yeah, man. I had my Moth Rider plus that mm -hmm. sword that we were talking about, the plus two, plus so. I was like, this is such a bitch in start. I'm going to get the Moth Rider down and mm -hmm. start attacking for three in the air every turn. And my opponent just played the stupid 3-3 three, three reach defender, and I was like, I don't really want to trade for that, but I guess I have to to get flying on my sword. And mm -hmm. like, he was stymied my whole plan. <laughs> yeah, it's... It was a real, real bummer. <laughs> so that card is like i think at home in this deck because you really want a two like a, just a big reach blocker that trades mm -hmm. well as opposed to um one thing i didn't talk about there's a lot of there's three three mana one fours with reach no uh, no sorry not with reach there's three one has flying. <laughs> there's three three mana one fours one has flying one has reach and one has neither um mm -hmm. i was thinking that when we were coming into this that they would be role players and I haven't seen, like, any of them really affect very much. Maybe the flyer. The, the blue one's probably the one I've seen the most. It's also common. So The green one is, is pretty good just because it has reconfigure. So mm -hmm. it's like, reconfigure's always good. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I see definitely the puzzle weaver or whatever a lot. And it's aggressively medium. Yeah. <laughs> it's just fine. It's like... Because it has a tap ability. It, sorry, it has an ability when it taps. So it kind of likes to crew, which is weird. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or just attack. I guess. One more flyer. It's so unlikely it's going to die in the air. Yeah. but It's such a good blocker that you don't want to tap it. Yeah. So anyway, um, I did want to spend a little bit of time right here at the end talking about five color cards or shrine, basically. Five color shrines. Mm -hmm. 
And what I want to say about Five Color Shrines is you can try to play it. However, the shrines are playable cards. People will yeah. take them for the regular decks that aren't shrine decks because their abilities are good enough on their own. Uh, you'll probably get the blue one a lot. And that's right. probably the blue one it. Is the worst one. You will never see the white one ever. No. And the I don't think I've ever seen the red one, to be honest. Ever. Not on board so or in, in, in my awesome red white deck, mm -hmm. I had one of each. I had the red one and the white one. So um, I was like pinging them for two and making two one ones every turn. Mm -hmm. uh, That's amazing. Yeah, the the white one is the best one, I think. Then maybe the black. Uh, the black one. Really? The black one is good because there's a lot of one toughness stuff, but oh. if you ever get a second shrine, you can kill like lots of stuff. I usually I see the green one a lot, and it's it's the kind of card that most of the time I'm like I have to deal with this. I guess maybe it's because I'm playing red, so then I'm like I have to kill this before I can't kill it now. because it's too big. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's probably what. Well, like it you're is. saying, they're they're all good, mm -hmm. and they're all good even if you don't have other, like, except the blue one, mm -hmm. even if you don't have other shrines. And even in the right deck, like a really defensive deck, might want just an 0-4 flyer. I have, the other thing, well, one thing I will say about the blue one that people don't remember is that it's an 0-4 flyer that can ninjutsu ninjas. So don't forget, yeah. it doesn't so have people defender. People assume, I think I even said defender to defend with or something mm -hmm. there, but it actually does not have defender. No. So you, I have ninjutsu in cards off of that because it's easy to get in because no one thinks about blocking it or even cares. So uh, use it in your ninja's deck because you'll be able to get one really easily. At the See, end now I'm always going to block it. If I have like a flyer and they <laughs> attack with that, I'm like, this isn't a pump spell. This is a ninjutsu. Attack. And then they play suit up and you get fucking wrecked. Yeah. Oh, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, so, uh, ultimately the five color deck seems very difficult to, uh, sorry, five color shrines feels like a difficult deck to pull off. Five colors doesn't seem nearly as impossible, but, um, I would probably be aggressive on taking the lands and, um, making sure you have all the good fixing, but, uh, and obviously a good payoff. Like don't do it just to hope to open a commie. Yeah. That's the thing. Like. I'm not sure if it's worth it. Even when my opponent did this thing where they hit me with the Kami War, I still remember thinking, like, all right, but what if you don't draw one of each basic in, mm -hmm. your, you know, in your natural draw? Or if you just don't draw that one card, then it feels like you're you're really playing with fire on yeah. the right mix of lands and cards. Because, like, what are you trying to... You're, you're hoping to play the Kami War or Kaiodai, which... Kaiodai is going to go into any white deck anyway. So right. um, I guess maybe the Kami War and then the Ecothermal Kami that will bounce it back to your hand so you can keep blowing up all their shit. Um, right. I mean, that seems pretty good, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely good. It's good. You just have to be able to find the pieces. Um, so, hey, go for it. Try it out. You might be able to get through with some um, of your different artifact cards that you won't have to... Uh, worry about colors and spend all your time just like fixing stuff but the ecologists what is it terrarium the terrarium mm -hmm. is uh he very helpful in this sense so draft those anyway uh that's basically all the draft artifact uh, artifacts archetypes <laughs> yeah that we're gonna be talking about today but um i do think this format in my opinion 
has a lot more to offer than just picking these two colors. Like there are 11 archetypes plus all the splashes you can have plus a bunch of different things. It just seems like there are, there's a lot of things to explore and almost all of the decks where you're like, oh, where I'm playing uh, this, the, these colors. It, basically I'm saying like, you can play green, white enchantments, but you can also play black, white enchantments or, and you can play mm -hmm. black, green enchantments and you can also play blue, green enchantments. So right. play enchantments. <laughs> yeah. And you can also like most of these color pairs, some of them are kind of locked in, but a lot of them it can range whether you have an aggro build or a controlling build within these archetypes. So even these archetypes don't really tell you the whole story because I've seen some like white black decks that put the pedal to the metal. And then I've seen some that just sit back and want to win the long game with their powerful cards. Um, it just really feels like you can almost do anything. You know, like mm -hmm. any color pair and any style of play can work if you draft appropriately. Um, it's so far, it's just been a really great format. Yeah, I've I've been loving it. Uh, I think I'm going to continue to love it, and um, I'm I'm just excited to see how it evolves. So uh, keep drafting <laughs> to everyone. That's right. Um, <clears throat> so Jeff, it kind of feels like we're coming into our last call now yeah it's kind of time to close the bar we kind of finished everything and you know let's just uh let's talk about some beers all right so this is actually sad because we've had godspeed for a few weeks now and this is our last this is this is it these are our last godspeed beers we we tasted everything and i haven't even decided my I haven't put together my thoughts on this yet, so <clears throat> to, to buy me a little more time, why don't we go through the uh, rating system that we're going to mm. be using here? That sounds great. So, as always, our rating system is based on the tiers in Arena, which is Bronze to Mythic. So, uh, also, remember, we are not saying anything bad about uh, whoever is in whatever tiers. Um, you know, everyone's in every tier at one point or another, it doesn't matter. They're just, a, it's a fun way to rank beers. So, um, however, with that being said, bronze beers are trash. They are horrible. You cannot finish drinking them and you have to pour them out because they're disgusting. Yeah. Silver beers are, these are where you might find macro brews or beers that just don't have a lot going on there. Uh, you know, indistinct. Gold beers are fine, but you wouldn't really think about them or drink them often. Yeah. Platinum is one step up. They're solid and you would drink them again. Diamond beers are exceptional. You would recommend these to your friends and you'll talk about them. Uh, these are beers you remember. And Mythic is the best of the best. You won't stop talking about these. Uh, you know, when anyone asks what your favorite beer is, these ones come top of mind. All right. Godspeed has given us some really great beers and we definitely saved the most interesting for last. I, I, I will no have kidding. to say that. Um, so... You don't really, these are 500 mil bottles and each beer is like 16, 15, $16. So I, we have pretty high hopes for these. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, right. And they're definitely different from the other beers we've had. And they're different than beer I've had. I think they're very right. individual, <laughs> um, which is uh, nice. You know, it's not very often where you come across a beer that's just not something you're used to. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Kintsugi. Kintsugi. Whoa. Yeah. 
I didn't think we were going to pick the same one. I was like, I'm going to go with Kintsugi, but I think Jeff likes the other one better. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I thought I might like the other one better from reading it. And then, all right. So we talk about the Kintsugi because we have a clear winner. Clear winner. I really liked the taste of the beer. I guess the first thing I want to ask you is like, did you pick up any of the individual stuff from any of the beers that we had last time? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, so it's not just me. Right? No, I wasn't like, well, I'm not tasting any yuzu. I'm not tasting any green tea. I'm not tasting, like... It was. It was funny because it was not even close to what I thought it was going to be. Um, because originally I was thinking, oh, it's mainly like these three beers, kind of just like um putting a barrel together, and then they it's going to taste like three different beers mixed together. Strange. Um, the. Yeah the extra fermentation with the the apple juice uh and and all of that really changes it and it has like a sour t- taste to it but but like really chill i don't know what i don't know how to explain it 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 wasn't so sharp right yeah i know i know exactly what you mean like when you order a sour you expect this kind of sour beer flavor or aspect of it and this was sour but i wouldn't call it a sour beer because Mm -hmm. it wouldn't meet people's expectations when they hear that but at the same time if i was giving it to someone who doesn't drink sour beers often i would be like it's it's like a it's like a baby step up into that world so when they they do say that it's like it has funk to it and i think that's what they're talking about so it, it has a funkiness both of these are supposed to have funkiness but this one specifically does and yeah I thought it was a really well-balanced funk. And it when I was tasting it, I was like, this is the kind of sour-ish beer that Jeff would like. Um, yes. Because usually we talk about how I like the really juicy ones and you like the ones that taste mainly like beer uh, mm-hmm. with some notes. And this feels definitely, there's no question this is beer. This is definitely beer. Right. And I wonder if, because it says it's aged in barrels for three years so i wonder if that like mellows out the probably that's that could be it i did think it was funny right because i'm expecting oh it's gonna taste like yuzu and green tea and apple Mm -hmm. it's like not getting any of that but it is a good kind of mellow sour beer uh, that i really like um you know i expected coming into tonight that one of these beers would crack into the mythic category though and i just don't think I don't think I can give it to it. I think it was like a good diamond beer for me. Yeah. Um, I agree. Neither of these are mythic. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both really interesting and I would probably talk about them to people, but they are not beers that I'm telling people that are like, you have to have this when you go. I'd be like, if you go to Godspeed, pick it up. I know it's a bit expensive, but if you're interested in something that's definitely different and, and really tasty, try it out. But yeah, um, it's not yeah, like the, if you're willing to spend the money on it, it's worth a try. Yeah, I think that's that, and that's also part of talking about it is letting you know the cost because um, that's definitely a factor. Of course, it's a factor. Right, when you're, and when you're you know when you that. hear it's aged for three years, you're like, well, they have to, they have to charge. Of course, it's, it's like scotch and all those kinds of things. This is a similar beer equivalent, um, but you're right. I put it at diamonds. Um, I really like this, and uh, of the bottled ones they have, this is probably the one I'll come to first. So, mm-hmm. going on to the one we did not pick, Sutoko. I like a lot what they did with it. It's a stock ale, mm-hmm. for sure. 
I don't know how much I like the idea of like a fifteen dollar stocking or whatever. Yeah. Uh, because it's just it's just like you know everything they do is well made. We kind of talked about this last time, mm-hmm. so you know it's a well made beer. And they're like, this isn't your typical stock ale, but then it still is for the most part a stock, a stock ale. ale. <laughs> Um, if that like if my criticism makes any sense i'm just saying like it really didn't wow me in in any particular direction Mm -hmm. Um, it's just hey this is a well-made stock ale it definitely it does have some funkiness in a different way than the other one a little more of your like traditional funkiness i think yeah you know ultimately it just kind of tastes like sort of standard yeah um I think a lot of what I got from this was the alcohol. Immediately, I was tasting alcohol, which is great. I mean, it is 7.3, so that uh, that comes across uh, very... I think especially um, after the last one, which was pretty mellow, mm-hmm. um, this one kind of hits you, punches you in the mouth a bit more. Yeah. Just on the alcohol front and not on the funky flavor yeah. front. So um, with that, I, I liked it. Um, I do think I'm going to bring it down to platinum. It was good. Yeah. Um, For me, this was like... Maybe just like low diamond, but then, I don't know, the price uh, and everything. I think you want to kind of push it down. Yeah, I I think that's probably what it really is. Like if I know someone who's going there, I'm like, just get the other one. Get um, uh, Kintsugi. Make sure to get that Mm -hmm. one uh, if if you're interested in that kind of thing. And of the bottles, that's the one you should get. Don't don't get the other one. So. We can't remember the name, so we'll have to remember. Get the one that's the bowl put back together. Yes, the the broken pottery that's been reformed. Right. That's the one you want. So, um, anyway, uh, great beers though. Godspeed is a yes. wonderful brewery. If you're ever in the Toronto area, go check them out. They do not sponsor us. No one sponsors us. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, these are yeah, all. Otherwise, it would have been straight mythics. Right? Of course, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, if you're a brewery that wants to sponsor us or give us some beers so we could do a tap takeover. Um, find us online. Um, and, and that kind of comes into our closing time, I guess, as we're talking about this, but, um, Oh, I thought it was, I thought it was you segue. It is. I mean, it is. I just thought I would actually say it. So, um, please go to our Instagram and our Twitter. Uh, it's at arena regulars and, um, you know, tell us your favorite beers or tell us which brewery we should take over next. Yeah. You can also look for us on MTG arena itself under the username arena regulars podcast. Uh, we might have, you know, if we're drafting green red, it's probably Zach. If we're drafting white black, it's probably me. So, <laughs> um, if you want to talk to me personally, you could find me at Zulberg. That is Z E U L B E R G on Twitter and Instagram. But Jeff, where can they find you? I have Twitter. It's uh, at Bluesbrews M T G B L U E S B R E W S M T G. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Follow us on Spotify and leave us a re- review there as well. Um, and just keep listening to us. Uh, it means a lot. Go to our YouTube channel, check out our videos. Um, we want to hear your feedback, so give it to us. If you have an idea for episodes, leave it somewhere. We'll probably find it, and maybe we'll even do it. This has been the Arena Regulars. Reminding you that in Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, you should draft enchantments. Good night. All right, that's fine.